Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Broadstairs Consulting believes that crisis isn't an if, it's a when. And although we are unafraid of crisis, we've never known one to be resolved in a single day. However long the day or night that gave rise to it in the first place, there's always something we can learn. Tune in now to The Longest Day, a short and snappy weekly crisis podcast where we interview leaders about crises emerging on their watch. New episodes released every Thursday. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hi, hello and welcome. I'm Royfield Brown. I'm back in Oakland. And this is Mid-Atlantic, your source for nuanced to left-of-centre political insights and analysis brought to you from both sides of the Atlantic. Today we dive into the Republican Party's presidential campaign and we look at a rather turbulent week in UK politics. And to help us do this, we have Z Cohen Sanchez. Z, remind the good listeners where you are. I'm in the state of Nevada right now, but we'll be in California for the Dem Convention this weekend. Huh. Maybe we can meet and have a cup of tea or something. And then we have Logan Phillips, who's in D.C., I believe. Leah Brown, who's in Kent in the U.K. And we have Corey Bernard in Manchester. The recent shakeup caused by Senator Tim Scott's unexpected withdrawal has sent ripples through the GOP. This has reshaped the political landscape a little as we head towards the critical Iowa caucus. This development not only narrows the field, but also intensifies the spotlight on the remaining candidates, raising pivotal questions about the party's direction and strategy against the backdrop of internal rivalries and external challenges. Well, new overnight, Republican Senator Tim Scott dropping out of the race for president. He made the announcement during a live TV interview. We're told it caught many of his own staff members and donors by surprise. When I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential candidate. I am suspending my campaign. I, I think the voters have been really clear that they're telling me not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying not now. Two months before the Iowa caucuses, sources close to his campaign tell CNN his team was worried about if he would qualify for the debate next month. 
and that leaving the race now allows him to return to the Senate without an embarrassing finish in Iowa. Let's bring in Eva McKent, who's been following all of this. Well, you know this so closely. I'm not sure if you were surprised, but the fact that Trey Gowdy was surprised uh, on that live on-air announcement says a lot, doesn't it? It does, Poppy and Phil. You know, good morning to you. I was watching this back this morning, and it really seemed like no doubt that this was a a decision that was informed by his faith. The timing was a surprise, but not the announcement itself. That's because there were several warning signs. Uh, But most of the people in his campaign had been telling me that they were going to press on until Iowa. But uh, you are right. They were worried about qualifying for the fourth Republican debate next month. I I suppose, Logan, we should start with you. Where are we in the polls? We have a few key trends here, right? As has been the norm for a while, Donald Trump is clearly the guy in first, but everything below that has been completely changed. Nationally, DeSantis is still second, but in the key swing states, um, which are often what matters most in the primaries at the beginning, uh, Nikki Haley is ascendant. Uh, She has been winning the last two debates And she's only just beginning ads now, and she's already well ahead in second place in New Hampshire, ahead of DeSantis. In South Carolina, she's way ahead in second, even more so than Iowa. She's almost caught up to DeSantis there, too, just two points behind. So now you might be listening at home saying, why does this matter when Trump's so far ahead? But it actually means a lot for two reasons. One, the way these primaries often work is you have one, two, maybe three tickets out of the first two states as the field starts to consolidate. Now, Nikki Haley is getting second place in both of these races, and she's also overperforming expectations given that DeSantis for a long time has been considered that number two guy. There's a real chance she's going to get a major boost. We've seen that happen time and time again, from John Kerry to Barack Obama to Rick Santorum to Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. So, in Bernie Sanders for that matter as well. So, The only way Donald Trump is going to have a competitive primary, really, is if this gets down to two major candidates. And even then, of course, he'd be the clear favorite. But Haley now has a real shot to clear the field, even in two states, potentially. Um, And have a real it's going to be hard for her to beat Trump, but at least she'll have a chance now. She hasn't had the money before. She hasn't had the media attention before. While DeSantis has had it for a long time. So we'll see what happens once you have two candidates getting a ton of coverage as some of these Republicans outside the early states start to move to Haley uh, like they have in Iowa and New Hampshire. Z, by the way, congratulations with your sterling work getting... How many campaigns did you do? We did about almost 60 campaigns this cycle. So it was uh, not as busy as what we usually are, but definitely it was exciting time. And and out of those 60 campaigns, how many of your candidates were successful? We had about a 30% win rate this time around. But what was really interesting was that out of the folks that did field in the way that we told them to, so actually invested the money that they needed to knock their win number, we had a 100% win rate. That's something we're really focused on as we get into 24 is making sure that candidates have the money to be able to do that because that's really critical, especially for the first time candidates. Funny you should talk about money. Tim Scott, <laughs> the person who we're loosely focusing on this, this juncture of our discussion, had a lot of endorsements. Why do you think his campaign failed to ignite? I think that he didn't have enough of a following to begin with. I also just think that sort of riding between the lanes too much was not helpful for him. I think what's going to be really interesting is to see, because I think everybody's determined at this point that unless something crazy happens with Trump, which looking is not going to, to happen given that 
regardless of really what happens to him in terms of the law, he's still going to be running unless, again, I don't know, maybe something scares him. He decides to not run, whatever. But I I do think what's going to be really interesting about the primaries coming up, particularly with Iowa, is how that's going to affect his running mate. Because that we've had some rumors around who he might choose. And I know his relationship with Nikki Haley has been very on and off, right? Like she has been, she's worked under him and also she's been critical of him at the same time. And we all know that when it comes to Trump and loyalty, that's a big issue for him. So I do wonder how this is going to affect him picking that person and how that's going to propel him forward. Because if he has a running mate that is, Nikki Haley or somebody similar to Nikki Haley, I think that it could be even more dangerous for Biden's chances. And this is a question for you, Logan. If Nikki Haley is going to go into the Republican uh, primary season being either number two or number three in terms of the polls preferential candidate for Republicans, can she be Donald Trump's running mate? Can she drop out after surely uh, throwing the odd sling and arrow in his direction, because he is incredibly thin-skinned. No, what would make you say that, Rodfield? Just uh, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's unclear. Donald Trump has said a long time ago that he was not going to choose his vice president from the people running against him. Now, Donald Trump is famous for changing his mind a few times a week on some things. That doesn't completely remove the possibility, but it does make it less likely. I think that Trump can handle criticism as long as you kiss the ring. I think his favorite thing in the world is when someone that was a constant critic of his, as long as you, maybe not if you went as far as Chris Christie did, but if you're a somewhat constant critic, let's say, and then you like tell him how great he is all the time and make a big public show of it, he often brings those people into the corner more than almost anyone else. It seems to be something he desires above all else. Sometimes with Donald Trump, you almost have to play political psychologist as much as you do political pundit when figuring out what his next move is going to be. I don't think it'll be Haley. Let's say Haley has a really strong primary gets relative to where she is now, gets 35 or even especially if it's like 40%. And maybe he viewed it in his strategic interest enough to do. I also think where Trump is doing more things in his interest by far than he has in past primaries, including less events and talking less because he really doesn't want to go to jail. And so it's just led a different level of discipline in his campaign than he had the last two times around. Uh, Z, you said that Scott, Tim Scott's campaign maybe fell between uh, a few stools, even though he was well financed. If there is one thing which is maybe policy wise, which is energizing these Republican presidential candidates, what is it? Yeah, I think that, do you mean in terms of the vote, like what's energizing them with voters? Answer it however you want, because I, I can't really see um, one specific policy. Uh, initiative that uh, they seem to be particularly united around other than saying they'll be the best person to run America. Yeah, I think it's very much due to the economy, right? I think that it's really easy to blame Biden for, I think people are hurting in America in general. I've talked about this before, but every year, increasingly, the cost of living goes up, resources are going down. Um, We haven't had an increase of the minimum wage since 2000 what nine at this point, which of course has affected some states more than others, right? Like definitely New York and LA have done their best to keep up with the with inflation, but at the same time, it's still not nearly enough uh, for people to be able to live comfortably. And so I think when people are looking for somebody to blame, and I think it's easy for them to blame the party, to blame the Democrats, even though clearly 
statistics are showing that it is not the Democrats that are causing these issues. I think, yeah, it's I think the Republican Party in general attracts lazy voters. I shouldn't I guess I shouldn't say that maybe I should. Uh, But it attracts people that want sort of simple answers to these things of who to blame. And I think it's really easy for them to look to that. I also think that there's some like social issues, too, that they're just some folks just cannot get behind Democrats with, particularly in terms of religion. When we're looking at things like abortion and we're looking at like social issues like LGBTQ rights, I think it's a lot easier. But I do think overall economy is definitely going to be the number one issue. And they've talked about that a lot in the debates, but I don't think nearly enough in terms of unpacking that with the Republican debates. Logan, considering that whenever the issue of restricting a woman's reproductive rights is put on a ballot, it's always struck down, at least it has been the last 18 months or so. Is that one thing which does unite this Republican field in terms of they're all behind the repeal of Roe versus Wade? Yeah, I actually think it started to divide them. The moderates, A, the ones who are pro-life, right? There's a wide range. So there are those who want, let's say, bans after 20 weeks. There are those in places like Kentucky, where they passed a law that only allowed exemptions in the case of the life of the mother, but no exceptions for rape, right? So some even Republican parties that they control wouldn't want to go that far. And then you even have Nikki Haley, who's probably gone the furthest uh, towards the center of this on anyone, which is she's saying she's pro-life personally, but she thinks the party needs to start to be less judgmental people that are pro-choice. And without giving any specifics, saying we need a compromise solution that reflects what all Americans want. And for New Hampshire, at least, which admittedly, that's where Haley's gunning for, people liked her stance on abortion the most of all the different candidates. And they were asked in a recent poll that was in the immediate aftermath of the debate. And that's over a Republican, admittedly, a more moderate Republican group than most, but that's still for Republican electorate. I would say, though, where I felt if you're going to choose one issue that would unite all Republicans on policy, it's probably immigration. Again, there's differences in how far they want to go, but I think Republicans in general are pretty anti immigration, or at least very focused on reducing undocumented immigrants from coming into the US. If there is a rising star in this uh, presidential campaign so far, it's most definitely Nikki Haley, Z. I know you bat for the other side, but what? why do you think that she seems to have resonated with Republican voters so far? Yeah, I think the aspect of her being a woman is really promising. I think for, I think, everybody's ready for a woman president, I think, on both sides of the aisle. I'm interested to know more about like how Trump is doing with women voters now and going into 2024. I would look to Logan for that to see if there's any stats on that. But I think it would be really interesting to see because I do think that probably has an effect. From what I've read online, it seems that Trump is losing some support with women. And I think that Nikki Haley In terms of the Republican Party, at least, there are Republican voters that definitely are more independent voters, right? This was a big this was a big reason why Trump won in 2020 um, was because of the independent swath of voters. And so I think that there are some folks that Nikki Haley, especially when it comes to like her stance on abortion, is honestly like very libertarian. She basically in the last debate, for lack of of her exact words, said something along the lines of, I personally am not going to get an abortion. I personally don't believe in abortion, but that doesn't mean that I think I have the right to tell people what to do between their doctor and themselves. And I think that was I think that's refreshing because it gives Republicans the out, right, to say 
and voting for somebody that doesn't believe in abortion, but also isn't authoritarian enough to outlaw abortion in certain circumstances. I think some independents really like that. I think that and I know that Nikki Haley has some other pretty libertarian positions as well. So I do think that could go down very well with that independent swath of voters. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how and I think that there is one more debate before Iowa. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that they have one more left. Is that correct? I, I am utterly not sure. Logan. Yeah, they're very much scheduling these on the fly. I think there will be two. There will definitely be at least one. Yeah, there'll probably be two if we base yeah. it off the pace of other primaries. Yeah, typically they have at least like four to five from memory. And so I think that this was only the third that just occurred. So yeah, so we're going to see another one. And I really think like the next one is going to be the the big one, right? Because when we go into Iowa, we need like the last debate is going to be the most prominent. I'm interested to see like how Nikki Haley pulls in that. I think it was really interesting with what's his name? Vivac? Is that how you pronounce it? He really flopped in the last debate where he was like really coming out strong in the beginning. But I think his overconfidence or really arrogance really hindered him in that last debate. Now I think people are just completely turned off by him. So I think that's going to give Nikki Haley a lane that um, has opened up for folks that are probably looking for another choice. I think Republicans, they're less, a little less policy focused than Dems. Although sometimes this isn't policy for anyone when it comes to these primaries, first and foremost. Sometimes it's about emotions and personality. And for the GOP has always cared a lot about strength at least going back to the beginning of this millennium. And Nikki Haley's strong. And we saw that when Vivek came after her for her kid being on TikTok. And it's just the way that she just brushed him off and was defensive of her kid. I think those little things, the signals that they send are pretty strong. And Haley sounds a little bit like Margaret Thatcher sometimes. I think that as a American woman in the GOP, you probably have to do that a little longer than you might on the other side these days uh, to look strong all the time. And... I think that's been part of her. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And on that note, folks, we're going to leave the politics of the United States and head to the UK because, my goodness, has it been a turbulent week. 
In other news, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has sacked his Home Secretary, Suela Braverman. This follows her public criticism of the way police handled a pro-Palestinian march on Saturday. She had previously described demonstrations in support of Palestine as hate marches and mobs. Her departure comes as part of a wider cabinet reshuffle. Let's find out more with Sonia Gallego, who's in London for us. So, Sonia, after days of speculation about her future, Suela Braverman is out. Why did the prime minister act now? Well, I, I think Mr. Sunak really couldn't ignore the signs anymore, really, uh, not just from within his own party, but also what was coming from the police forces as well. Uh, there had been uh, much concern, uh, especially from within the police force, that their operational independence was being compromised with the rhetoric that was coming from the Home Secretary uh, herself, uh, way, the way she calls police officers as having some kind of bias. Leah, Corey, I don't quite know where to start. I, actually, I do. I suppose we need to start with the march at the weekend, which then led to the sacking of the Home Secretary, which then led to the recalling of David Cameron, which then just happened one or two days before one of the key planks of this government sending refugees and asylum seekers to Rwanda was struck down by the Supreme Court. What a week. Leah, over to you. Were you marching for peace and an armistice on Saturday? Were you with those 300,000 peaceniks or were you with the EDL about to bum rush the cenotaph and attacking the police? I was not in London. In fact, many of the protest locations are to be avoided for safety reasons by any responsible citizens, in my humble opinion. And actually, I was on the other side of the country. But I think one of the peculiar challenges with the protest situation was the provocation and the tool of the media that was used to effectively stir up violence for argument's sake and uh, opinions and perspectives that actually had very little to do with Israel and Palestine. Uh, and more to do with eliciting hatred or responses to the police or just an opportunity for self-expression. And I think what we've really seen in the last week is the continued expression of polarization in our society in a way that cannot be mitigated. It's almost frightful how far apart some of the ideologies are and some of the people are. And I think there's been a real question mark over what is leadership. And uh, with all of the cabinet of chaos, bringing back former prime minister into the role of foreign secretary, ministerial reshuffle, and also, and this I think is one of the key outworkings of everything that's happened, ministers who have stood down becoming exceedingly vocal through the media about what they ought to have done when they were holding said seat, has created a situation where the direction of forward travel is no longer clear. And quite frankly, I'm almost disappointed um, by the way that things have unfolded. It's been extremely exciting. But I don't think that we have confidence in the direction of travel. I don't think that we have a sense of unity um, in any of the issues um, that have transpired since last week. And I don't think that we've gone any way to addressing the issues, for example, with the Met Police that resulted in the protests in the first place. Goodness, you brought up so many things there which I could pull you to task uh, about. But polarisation of, of society, ministerial responsibility, 
Suella Braverman. Let's just deal with that first, Corey. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being she should have been sacked a month ago. Give us a number. Did she have to go when he sacked her? Should she have gone beforehand? Where do you stand on that? Just give us a number first, and then we'll talk about the vitriol in her resignation letter. Of 10 is last week, I'd say 25. Because well, I don't think she should have had a job I'm, in the first place. I'm loving your maths. So the Prime Minister had to sack her. Did he have to sack her because she broke the ministerial code, or did he have to sack her because of actually what she said? He had to sack her because she's becoming a pain in government. He had to sack her because he can't control her because she submitted her Times article even though she was told by his team to make changes and she refused to. So as you alluded to, she broke the ministerial code again. He had to sack her because the policies that she's championing are clearly not going anywhere, as we saw in the Supreme Court on Wednesday. Yeah, so he had to sack, he had to sack her for a bunch of reasons. But as going back to you, your first question, he should never have hired her in the first place. She should not have had the job. She was sacked by his predecessor for breaking the ministerial code. And now ostensibly he sacked her again for breaking the ministerial code. Now, we know that's not the only reason he sacked her. We know that he was already having talks with her replacement, not exactly her replacement, with David Cameron before she submitted that Times article. So we know that he wanted to get rid of her. She, we know that she was for the chop, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back and why she went when she went. So yeah, she she should never have had a job in the first place. I, I'm still, it's, it's incredulous to me. I get the political reasons, but again, at the same time, I don't get them insofar as he brought her on board to shore up. Do you get them or do you not get them? <laughs> so I get them in, sen- in the sense of I understand why he brought her on board and it was so that he could shore up the rights of the party. That's it. We all know that. But I don't get it in the sense of he didn't need to shore them up because they couldn't touch him because they have uh, uh, they have immunity. That The leader has immunity for the first 12 months. So they couldn't touch him anyway. So this, so that that's the part I don't get in the sense of it was an un- un- unnecessary give. But I get why he gave her. I just think it was unnecessary. So, yeah. Leah, David Cameron is back. Big cheer, big whoop, or big nothing? It was a stroke of genius until Lord William Hague made it known that he had been asked first. There's something about moving by stealth that you really need to make sure that all of your moves actually are delivered by stealth. And there's nothing like realising that you weren't quite the first choice. But... I was having this conversation earlier and there's something particularly peculiar about his choice of Baron Cameron, I think he is still. And that's why would you choose somebody who's going to show you up? Partly with his charisma, partly with his ability to be a leader, partly with his track record. Many of the things that Rishi has really struggled with, David Cameron did actually manage And there is a great risk that David Cameron will actually end up making Rishi look bad. But there's also a sense, and I think this is something that Corey didn't quite touch on, the expediency of the choice is what potentially will keep Rishi in office a little bit longer. And I feel like in many ways, David Cameron is protecting Rishi's interests and Rishi's position by bolstering the cabinet. Um, He's obviously very able and informed on foreign policy issues, although the conflicts of interest that have arisen, goodness knows how we'll mitigate those under the ministerial code. But I do think that there is praise to be given for for that decision. I know that there are a lot of critics 
who think you've got 300 odd ministers couldn't you find one within your existing (laughs) selected MPs to represent as far as secretary isn't that the whole point though isn't it that actually there isn't the talent there aren't for all of those 300 and odd MPs the pool of talent is so incredibly thin and what David Cameron represents is whether you like him or not a safe pair of hands. The cameras trained on this front door, the PM inside now with everyone's attention after this jaw-dropping addition to his cabinet. The former Prime Minister is back as Foreign Secretary. No one saw David Cameron come in. The Rishi reset is on. Appointing an old PM not without risk, Cameron brings with him a leader's charisma and command. David Cameron, are you pleased to be back in government, sir? But complications too, be it Brexit baggage or controversies around his post-Parliament life. Of course I disagree with some individual decisions, but politics is a team enterprise. I've decided to join this team because I believe Rishi Sunak is a good Prime Minister, doing a difficult job at a hard time. I want to support him. The day started with a vacancy finally opening up after days of speculation. Have you said back me or sack me to the Prime Minister, Mrs Braverman? The Home Secretary sacked after her criticism of the police was judged by the PM as step to see fair votes. Uh, yeah. You know what? Britain, country with reduced geopolitical weight... Here is somebody who looks and feels like a statesman. Here is somebody who you can roll him out and from day one, he's met Xi already. He's met Modi already, right? These they. It looks like, my God, this revolving cast of random characters has ended. If you look, if you're the world looking in at Britain, here is somebody who has some level of gravitas. Yes. So I've often said, like, in the past, if you look at the past 15 years, the likes of Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, they make David Cameron look like the statesman of the age. So in relative terms, yes, 100%. In absolute terms, he's pretty middle of the road, if you look in an absolute sense. But relatively speaking, as I said, Boris Johnson makes David Cameron look like the greatest statesman since Churchill in this country. So yes, he does provide that kind of image abroad. I, I, I would presume the experience is obvious. And, 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 and it's not just comparing him to the likes of Boris Johnson and, and Liz Truss, but even comparing him to people in government now he does stand above he does seem to stand above the rest if merely for the fact of age and experience so yes it does give that kind of image abroad the question is what about the image internally domestically because if i'm rishi sunak i probably care more about with an election coming up in a year i'm 20 points behind i care more more about what things look like domestically probably and i think that's more wait a minute shouldn't you care about the country which you're serving But you raise an interesting point. Hold fire, right? Because as if by magic, we have not one but two non-Brits, right? So I'm going to say to them, I'm going to ask them the same question. Z, David Cameron, uh, thoughts and feelings. What's the first thing that comes to mind? I don't know anything about David Cameron. (laughs) I thought so, right? Um, How American central and eccentric of me. (laughs) I actually think that in terms of world leaders, obviously world leaders will know David Cameron, but in terms of us thinking we're putting a statesman on the world stage, most people are going to be pretty nonplussed outside of Britain. Logan, same question to you. 
I know, I'm a foreign policy guy. So I have a, I think of him as a good partner in terms of leaving aside like how I think of him in regards to British policy. A uh, good partner with the U.S. He and President Obama worked well together on climate change. And I think in these things, it's going to matter less how domestic audiences feel about him and how other leaders do whenever they trust him and whenever they can work with him. And trust is something you build throughout your tenure. Leaders tend to get better at foreign policy. And Cameron comes in uh, from the get-go at a rocky point in the United Kingdom where their image has been taken a few punches. So I think there's some strength for it. It's not perfect, clearly. Uh, Brexit was one of the biggest mistakes uh, leaders made that he didn't want it. And it happened because of his misperception of the UK public. But I think that matters a lot more in the UK than it does abroad. Mm. Okay. That, that, de- decent answer. Decent answer. Keir Starmer, Leah, what is he to do with these, what's it, 56 rebellious MPs who decided that, you know what, there should be a ceasefire? amendment put into the king's speech does this point to maybe not the easiest of 12 months that Starmer's going to have before the general election or will this be a storm in a teacup jess phillips she'll be back in uh, in the shadow cabinet in a few months nothing much to see here how big a deal has this week been for the labor leader i'm pretty frustrated about all of this to be honest i've just written a column about it and one of the reasons i'm so frustrated is because The goal of an MP is to represent their constituents' interests. And we have representation from wildly divergent constituent groups. And people are going to have mixed views on this issue. It's it's an issue that Israel and Palestine has absolutely added to the fracturing and polarization of society, particularly on social media. I feel very nervous about the approach that Sir Keir Starmer has taken on this, because I don't think that it is reasonable to exercise coercive control in this way. I do not understand why MPs are not allowed to agree to disagree on this issue. And I don't understand why having a proximity to, or perhaps a different perspective on an issue, who creates this obligation to resign if you won't vote in a particular way. I think it's a peculiar way to use the whip, and it's a terrible way to draw attention to yourself. And actually, you'd be better off just facing public ruin by failing on a vote that you're standing behind. And the real thing that I think has happened here is that Keir Starmer has made a bed for himself way back when he did the LBC interview and didn't quite get that messaging right. And there's been a consistent lack of getting messaging right. And to avoid being the candidate who U-turns or is inconsistent or changes his mind, we're here. And I'm not sure that he ever intended to be here. And so I I feel very frustrated that we've had shadow ministers forced into resignations. I'm proud of them for for doing that. Of course, I think that they'll be back. But the thing that I found most peculiar was that this was the story that was on the front page of the paper on the day that the prime minister decided that international law was not worth observing. And actually, the Gaza story took precedence over the flagrant flouting of compliance with international law which is, in my humble opinion, much more important than whether it's um, humanitarian pauses or a ceasefire. Interesting point. And uh, I'm going to come on to that. But just whilst I am still, whilst we are still thinking about the, the Labour Party, Corey, shouldn't a ceasefire for humanitarian aid, shouldn't that be an issue of conscience as opposed to a political issue? This, the blanket support 
of Israel in terms of how it's going to prosecute the war with Hamas. That's one thing. It does lead to ultimately being an issue of conscience when you come down to a ceasefire. But ultimately, the Labour Party has said, we're behind the Israeli state and how they're going to prosecute this war. That's one thing, right? That's Labour Party policy. However, humanitarian aid, when four, over 4,000 children have died and 10% of Gaza is flattened, surely that's something of conscience. And to Leah's point, it shouldn't have been a whip vote. I've been thinking about this because I, I, th- I think I, I disagree with it a little bit insofar as I think it is important that you have, I think, whipping your, at least your front bench, your shadow cabinet or your cabinet, I think that's important or else it's easy. Party breakdown is, is very easy. Slippery slope, right? But at the same time, I was actually listening to an interview from John McDonnell and he made the point that he, re- he made the point essentially that war should always be a conscience, a conscience vote. And, and I'm sympathetic to that, even though I'm very much in favour of pretty much all of the time, your front bench, you just got to be in lockstep. <laughs> but, I, but as I said, I am sympathetic to the idea that a war, especially if you are the opposition, a, I'm tempted to think that should be something that should be left to conscience. Yes. But either way, people should always vote. Yes. When it comes to war, I think, yes, definitely. I think it should be a conscience vote, except in very strict circumstances, especially if we're the third party. If it was a case of, if it was if it was essentially to, we were directly involved or it was a case of being attacked, I think in those circumstances, then yes, the whip 100% locks that you vote how you're told. When it comes to being a third party observer, I'm definitely even more sympathetic to the fact that I think it should be a conscience vote, yes. So I think I've, I think I've, I know I, I upset you, I think, with my slightly draconian views on one side, but I think on this issue, you should be happy with me that I agree with you that, yes, it should be. It. Corey, you never disappoint. I'm always happy with you. Today, the Supreme Court has judged that the Rwanda policy requires a set of changes in order to be lawful. I do not agree with this decision, but I respect it and accept it. The rule of law is fundamental to our democracy. We have prepared for all outcomes of this case. And so we have been working on a new international treaty with Rwanda. This will provide a guarantee in law that those who are relocated from the UK to Rwanda will be protected against removal from Rwanda. And it will make clear that we will bring back anyone if ordered to do so by a court. We will finalise the treaty in light of today's judgment and ratify it without delay. But we need to end the merry-go-round. I said I was going to fundamentally change our country, and I meant it. So I'm also announcing today that we will take the extraordinary step of introducing emergency legislation. This will enable Parliament to confirm that with our new treaty, Rwanda is safe. It will ensure that people cannot further delay flights by bringing systemic challenges in our domestic courts and stop our policy being repeatedly blocked. Leah. The government wants to break the law. How can such a thing be even possible? Honestly, the posturing and pandering and strategizing and dizzying attempts to circumvent a Supreme Court judgment is absolutely astonishing, simply so that you can move people who you're adamant are not British to somewhere else so that somebody else cannot move them on and yet you don't want an international country to have the right to tell you that's not possible. I, I find it very perplexing. And the only reason that we are in this situation 
is because Rishi is going to look bad if he cannot stop the boats. And the only, the best solution to stopping the boats is Rwanda. So Rwanda cannot fail. I'm not even sure they're emotionally invested in it anymore at this point. I think it's just a principle situation. And no, surely they are, Leah, because if you are the Conservative Party, and to the point that Logan made about the Republican Party, that immigration control of borders is key to right-wing politics. Absolutely key, okay? Because it talks, it reinforces identity. It reinforces control. That this, if you are this Conservative Party, what do you have to show for 13 years' worth of rule? And one of the key planks is of Brexit was we're taking back control of our borders. And that's not been the case because you have a net plus migration of 600,000. It is a massive amount of people which are now coming to the UK. They have to be seen to be doing something. That's the point. Have to be seen to be doing something. I don't think that anybody thinks that Rwanda's actually going to work as a deterrent. I think it's the thing that they put their armour behind and they think that if they want to be successful at the general election, they've got to show that they can make Rwanda work. I don't think that's the same as deploying a successful immigration strategy. And the reason that I say that is because in advance of the Supreme Court judgment, which I find it fascinating that Number 10 didn't get an advance look at, especially given the way that things played out earlier this week, is the other solutions that they were coming up with in the event that the Supreme came back and Supreme Court came back and defied Suella Braverman's hopes and dreams by saying Rwanda couldn't go ahead. And it was everything from, we're physically going to stand in the channel and push the boats back over to France. It, 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 it defies logic that we will continue to do something that we don't have any evidence is actually going to be successful, simply so that we can say that we've achieved something that we don't even know if we can achieve. And I, I feel very nervous about not just the flouting of international law, which I think is absolutely categorically unacceptable, and that's me as a lawyer speaking, but I think just from a, a policy perspective, this is about expediency and this is about saving one's own skin and being able to point to one's own successes. It's not about the either human rights or the care or the consideration of or the processing of traumatized individuals who are fleeing from states of war or famine or wherever they're coming across the waters from and having any sense of care or responsibility or obligation for them. And I'm always going to think that is problematic. Swallow my dumpling. Corey, you can have the last word on this. This has been one of the most momentous weeks in, in, in British politics. Take us wherever you want, sir. Yeah, it's been absolutely insane. You opened up by speaking about the marches, right? Much as like five days ago, it feels like two weeks ago. It's been insane. I Monday, I was, and this is how I know I'm a, a political geek, because Monday felt, hey, it felt like the day before going on holiday, that kind of constant, buzz and thrill you have because something great's happening and it wasn't great but work with me uh, and it's, that's the feeling that the return of david cameron does to you you feel like you're about to get one holiday i wouldn't go that far about the lord cameron himself but just the general just fast-paced craziness of monday i was i early start i was driving it was like 20 past eight and i'm here i'm listening to radio and everything's coming through like she got sacked at half a state that guy really got up early and said i'm getting to work early before 9 p.m 9 a.m on the morning morning she sacked at half eight david cameron's confirmed by 9 a.m and the days went on from there so it's been crazy obviously then we had the tuesday then we've got suella braverman with her three-page 
I was going to say resignation. It wasn't resignation. She was sat. A three-page breakup letter. Then we had Wednesday, as you guys have been discussing with the Supreme Court. What's going to happen tomorrow? Is King Charles going to dissolve Parliament and go for personal rule like his namesake before him? I don't know. It's been insane. Didn't end well for that, Charles, did it? Didn't end well for that, Charles, did it? We can try again. If at first he dogs a seat. Interesting. Is he going to be more like Charles I who ends up with his head leaving his shoulders? Or is he going to be like the merry monarch Charles II? You had mistresses galore. I was going to say, I think he's a bit too old to be Charles II pouring his way around London. He's just turned 75 this week, so I don't know about that. He still rides a horse. Charles I rode his whole horse into battle. We could still... I'd go more Charles I. Not with the same ending. More Charles I. He's a bit too old. He doesn't have the constitution to do to repeat Charles II. Do you think that 75-year-olds don't have certain urges? I would say, I was simply going to say that it, it would appear to me that His Majesty has has a lot of love and affection for uh, for the Queen, and I'd leave it there. Well done. Perfect answer. Now is the time where we catch up with, with our pundit panel and we ask them what they've been up to in the last seven days. Also acts as a cheeky way for them just to promote their own services. Oh, <laughs> You're up next. We have been um, vigorously getting ready for 2024. We're in the thick of things now. We wrapped up 23 and it was great. So again, if you're a new candidate and or an incumbent and you need help, please reach out to us at soulstrategies.com, like the soul of your shoe. And you can also find us on all social media platforms as well. Logan Phillips, what have you been up to in the last seven days, sir? How dare you accuse us of ever self-promoting, Boyfield? So if you want to see what I've been up to, go to racetothewhitehouse.com and see the latest content. And by the way, Logan, you're looking very sharp and dapper, so you obviously have important things to do later. We'll say no more on exactly what they are, though. <laughs> I'm honoured, uh, Royfield. Leah, my, my good friend, what have you been up to recently? Been to any swanky conferences, important parties, sat down at lunch with any important MPs? Glad to report all of the above. And one of the things that we've been working on is trying to figure out how we can help leaders in politics disagree well. I'm actually just back from an event we hosted this evening on looking at helping to inspire leaders in media about DEI and and trying to move conversations forwards, engaging in conversations that count and facilitating difficult conversations. So we've been very busy with that and working with think tanks and trying to move projects forwards. We also can be found on all social media platforms. You might that's me to just insulting. Well done. Well done. Corey, Bernard, what have you been up to, sir? It was a great week to bring back my podcast. Other podcast. Don't know if I'm allowed to am I allowed to speak about other podcasts, sir? Yeah, we brought back my podcast. It's been uh, a bit dormant. So that's a politics podcast. And yes, very much going through my aforementioned excitement uh, regarding the past week in British politics. So that's not BAME, obviously found anywhere. Apart from that, uh, not much to be honest. Just uh, cooking and eating, and and oh, back on. I've I gave in. Sorry, I forgot something important. I gave in. I am back on X, Twitter. Let's call it Twitter. The Twitter app that Elon Musk bought. So yes, back on there because you did a, a space. So I gave in as a result to listen to that, and now I'm stuck. I can't let it go again. And Corey has uh, hinted at something which I think could well be quite important to you, dear listener that we are now starting to do some of our content at least we're recording it on the platform 
that I will forever call Twitter. And yesterday was one of those days where we interviewed Rula Shishad, who is a, a project director of a really important Palestinian charity based out of Ramallah. And, and really the conversation was around the messaging of Palestinian hopes and dreams for nationhood and how that has been reflected in the current war in Gaza. If you do want to be around when we do these live interviews, join Twitter and uh, follow me at Royfield, R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D, and then you'll be alerted when we go live with those sessions. Also, what you can do, for the please, for the love of all things holy, please write us a review on any one of the podcasting platforms. I would prefer, dear listener, if you wrote us that review on Apple Podcasts. But you know what? Spotify is coming up. I'm getting more and more reviews actually on the Spotify platform. So why don't you do that if Spotify is your thing? But please, we don't ask for money, but we ask for a little bit of praise. Just a tiny bit by writing us a podcast review and giving us a stonking five stars. Because I, for one, think that Z, Logan, Leah and Corey deserve it. So if you are a fan of any one of those four people, go write a podcast review. It'll be most awesome. You can also write me a terrible email telling me how terrible, one-sided and I am by sending it to royfield at gmail.com other than that we'll see you all again next week for another barnstorming rip-roaring episode of Mid-Atlantic where we look at news and views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other so it's bye-bye from me bye-bye from Leah ta a bit from Logan toodle-pip from Leah and how do you say goodbye in, in Manchester, Corey? there you go that's how you say goodbye in Manchester don't even bother in a bit in a bit and in a bit from Corey. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.